Cool. Welcome to From the Shed End, episode 83. We are back. We're both smiling, which means it's almost the weekend, whether that's a good or a bad thing. If you're a Chelsea fan, we don't know, but Theo, how are you doing? Not bad, not bad, thanks. Uh, I was just telling you offline that I haven't caught the famous Dortmund variant, which everybody who travelled to Dortmund last week seems to be ill with. I'm okay, haven't caught a cold, but I feel like you just mentioned that your voice is slightly croaky and you're not feeling as 100% as me. Yeah, I literally in 30 minutes I'll be having another Lemsip which is a, <laughs> a highlight of my Friday at the moment so obviously with Chelsea coming up over the weekend as well but if you if you are new to the channel if you're new to the podcast please go subscribe to the channel there's a link tree link in the description it'll take you to all our social accounts all our previous episodes as well so make sure you follow all of those as well but let's get straight into business because earlier on this week it was documented that there was an emergency meeting called by Christopher Vivelle, um, backroom staff, Graham Potter involved, all the players in terms of the, um, I, don't, I don't know if you can call it the up, uprest or whatever you want to call it, the, the poor morale, I suppose, around the club, fans, etc. Um, what's your take on that? Because it kind of seems like it's a, it was, it, I mean, that's sort of, when you see emergency meetings, you, you tend to think sacking tend to think next step sacking but what's your thoughts on the fact that we had to call an emergency meeting and um there's a couple of things I want to ask you afterwards but just on on that that point what's your point yeah I mean like you said as soon as you mentioned the word emergency is quite a scary word you think stacking you think kind of some next big steps that need to be taken but in this situation I think it was needed whether that we don't exactly know what the kind of main kind of topic of conversation was in that meeting whether it was kind of bringing that cohesion and gelling the players back together, whether it was the players, you know, to start playing for the manager again, whether it was um, talking about how serious the next three games against Spurs, Dortmund and Leeds are and how it's almost make or break for Graham Potter's future, um, whether it may be just kind of the fan, um, the players kind of playing for the fans. Like I mentioned in the previous episode, some players just rush straight down the tunnel after full time, almost like they're hiding from the fans, which has started to create a bit of a toxic atmosphere around Stamford Bridge and around the, the the ground on match days. I think there was a lot of interesting things that could have been discussed at that meeting. And fingers crossed as Chelsea fans, there was a positive outcome from the players, from the backroom staff, from the manager as well. And I think hopefully that will kind of give them that boost that they needed to stay united in the next um, three or four months of the season. Yeah, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't bode well for for not just Graham Potter, but I think especially the, the players as well, the fact that, you know, Todd Bowley's clearly called for this emergency meeting to, to happen to take place. And you do think to yourself, is this the start of the end for Graham Potter and his coaching staff? Because like you say, you know, when you hear the word emergency, you automatically assume, you know, uh, something drastic is going to happen very soon. Um, it's a strange one because I think it's going to go one or two ways, whether the, the players get on board. Um, there's multiple sort of um, things being mentioned over over the last couple of days around some sources saying that there's no uprest at the club and, and the club, to, and the players are happy. Everyone's enjoying their time at Chelsea. And on the flip side of that, you've got some sources that are saying that there is uprest. There are players that are unhappy. Some players are confident that the new players that have come in are, are good enough for the quality of Chelsea. Um you know, to carry on and play for the club. So it's a hard one to call. And I think as an outsider, in terms of we're just fans, you know, it, all we want is 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 three points and, and our club to do well. But um, I was going to ask you, because obviously the, the emergency meeting was called 
there was there was also, and I don't know if we spoke about this on here, but there was obviously after a game, you know, you get the day off afterwards, and then you get the second day off. Uh, you don't normally get the second day, sorry. So for Chelsea to have two days off in terms of the, the defeat to Southampton, um, and there was light training, I think, Wednesday, or maybe yesterday, one of the two days, because of the injuries that we, we could sustain if we were to do a full intensity, uh, you know, training uh, schedule. But surely this is where, again, you know, backroom staff have to pinpoint those players, those key players that might be at risk of injury, but not to take the whole team out of a full schedule of training. And I think that's, I mean, I don't think that's, I don't know if that's ever happened at Chelsea before where we just almost down, not down tools, but downgrade our training schedule because of the risk of injury. Surely you do that on a player-by-player basis. Yeah, it it made zero sense for me. I know Potter said it was planned months in advance to have that specific, I think it was a Monday, where the players wouldn't train. But um, we're not in the Carabao Cup anymore. We're not in the FA Cup. Our next Champions League midweek fixture is not for another two weeks or so. I don't know why we're giving breaks to the players. We need every single training session and make it count at the moment because the results aren't happening on the weekends. And um, I'm a bit baffled why that happened. Um, Like Potter maybe mentioned, he wants to reduce the amount of injuries. But if that was Mourinho, if that was Conte, if that was Tuchel, I hate bringing up these past managers but they call that he called them straight back all the players straight back into the training ground the next day after a defeat, an embarrassing defeat to Southampton at home. So I don't know if that's just Graham Potter's kind of relaxed personality of just, you know, not really wanting the players to have a break to reduce injuries or if it's something that was planned months in advance. But either way, you, you've got five days a week. We work five days a week. You'd expect the players to work five days a week as well on a training pitch. Yeah, I think as well, if the results aren't coming in, um, you know, double training. Double training. I think, yeah. there should, I think there should be more. There's, there's clearly something that we're, we're, we're not doing or we're not implementing during the game. Whether that's happening in training or it's not, something clearly isn't happening. So I think, you know, there needs to be needs, something needs to change. Obviously, and there's, there seems to be a lot of unrest at the club at the moment, off field and on field as well. Like you said, you know, I can't remember a season where, you know, players are getting booed off or they're getting booed onto the pitch. You know, it just doesn't happen at Chelsea. That in in my my days, anyway, it's never really happens where you know players are being booed or the. the a multiple group of players have been booed off the pitch or the, there's, there's been, I don't want to call the word hate, but there's been so much uh, discontent, I suppose, for the for the manager to, you know, to, to be at the club. I've never, I can't remember the last time we wanted the manager at the club or some fans want the manager at the club. It just, it just doesn't seem like anything is going right for, for Graham Potter at the moment and also the players. Yeah, like you just said, I can't remember a time even Sari, who was very, hit and miss and didn't really have that relationship with the fans. I can't remember the Chelsea fans kind of having this, you know, calling for his name on after the match, match days and even Lampard towards the last few months of his time at Chelsea. I know that there were a lot of fans that didn't want to see him as our manager anymore, but even those royal match-going Chelsea fans were still Lampard and they still backed him. But those same fans, I'm not seeing them give Potter the same treatment with the same patience. So yeah, there definitely seems to be this type of miscontent or discontent and kind of uh, like I said, almost toxic atmosphere around Stamford Bridge at the moment. Mm. And I do feel the excuses are running out. And I, I don't mean excuses from Graham Parr. I don't mean it from the play. I just mean, you know, I'm speaking to other Chelsea fans as well. You know, first of all, it was, you know, we needed a, a an Enzo Fernandez, and we've got him now. You know, that, then it was Reese James isn't in the team and Ben Chilwell's not in the team. We've got them back now. So N'Golo Kante, another player we're going to talk about next 
is now back in training. I'm sure he won't be on the bench or he won't be featured on Sunday, but you'd expect him maybe, uh, I think it's Leeds in the, the, the uh, maybe Leeds, the game, Leeds is after that, I think. So you'd expect him maybe to be on the bench for that game, but the excuses slowly have dried up now because we have to get results. There's no other excuse apart from the players are good enough to play for the manager and the manager isn't good enough to coach the players. It, it, it surely comes down to that ultimately at the end of the day. Yeah, no more excuses. Like I said, we, he's had a January transfer window. He's got the players he wanted. Uh, the list of injuries now, I saw that Pulisic and Kante opt, yeah. could potentially even make the match day squad um, for Spurs, even though I wouldn't risk them. But the only injuries that we have now are Edouard Mendy and uh, I think there's a second name. I can't remember who it was. Armando Brogia. I think Armando Brogia, yeah. And obviously Aubameyang, who isn't even featuring in the, the training pictures that the clubs the club are posting on their app. Um, but yeah, the normal excuses for terms of injuries. He's got the players he wants. He's got Kante back to fitness. He's got a very solid goalkeeper now in Kepa who's not making mistakes like he was a couple of seasons ago. And um, the only possible excuse I could give him is that we don't have a number nine. But we do have a number nine in Aubameyang. We do have a number nine. <laughs> squad, so even that's not an excuse in a way. Um, I don't know if Aubameyang is a not being in a squad is a Bowley decision or a Potter one, but I think I listened to your your previous video you posted. It makes zero sense at the moment. We're lacking goals. He's a proven goal scorer. He's our mo- he's our only na- natural nine that's fit at the moment. Given that Armando Brojo is is out for a season, that one is just for me would kind of give us a bit of a boosting and back in the team sheet for sure. 100%. And, and obviously, mentioning Angolo Kante, good to see him back in just at Cobham, you know, training again. I know, so I, I do think he's a long way off. Um, I know you say he could potentially be in the match day squad, but you just wouldn't want to see him even on the bench. You know, you wouldn't want to have to be in a position where someone gets injured and he has to come on. You know, those are the sort of players that can, I can understand why you wouldn't want doing full training on a, a Wednesday or a Thursday. I can understand that. But um, how good is it to see Kante back, back in training? Uh, we've missed him a lot, 100%, but good to see him back. Yeah, just seeing him, the pictures of him back at Cobham training with the team in the gym and on the grass just puts a smile on our faces as Chelsea fans. Like I said, we haven't seen him since August. He hasn't played a Chelsea game since August. So that's a good four or five months of not having Kante in our team and off and our our form's just slumped since he's not been in the team. It really has. He's such a valuable player to us. And it seems like we want to try to build um, our midfield around him and Fernandez for the next season. I think we will give him a new contract and I hope he does sign it. But on paper, Kante and Fernandez is a very good midfield duo, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, really good boost to have him back fit. And I, like you said, I wouldn't risk him in the match day squad for Sunday. I'll give him another week at Cobham to up his fitness and maybe yeah. um, have him on the bench for the Leeds game the following week. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. And I think it's it's only right, I think, that we'll, we'll hopefully see the best of Enzo once Kante's back. Um, but I do say, you know, those excuses are drying up. So if it doesn't work, then it's another excuse that we can tick off to say that that isn't the problem. Um, yeah, good to see Kante back 100%. You know, I think he's... Um, I didn't realise it was August. I mean, that kind of tells you a lot about our season um, and how much we rely on him and how much we need to give him a new contract because... Uh, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show, you know, I think our slump has probably started. Um, obviously, when uh, obviously two, Thomas Tuchel left and then Potter came in, he went on a beautiful run. But having Kante in there is so vital in that midfield. Um, he does so much. And I think it would, I think it would allow um, Fernandez to potentially just do a bit more yeah. at midfield. I think, you know, sort of like Kante behind you or alongside you, 
does give you that luxury of just maybe stepping a bit more forward or just having a bit of a safety net behind you with someone like Kante, who you know, hopefully, you know, injuries permitted, that he can get back to his best his best Kante that we know. Um, you know, having someone like him behind you is, is is second to none. You know, you can't really fault someone like that. I, I think he's a I think the partnership hopefully next season you know, we, we, we missed it this season now, but I think next season we'll get to see that 100%. And I agree with you. I think you'd be stupid not to give him a contract. Stupid. Yeah, especially now that we've got rid of Jorginho. We need Kante. We need that experience. I do know that maybe he's a bit of a shy personality, but he is a leader. He is an experienced player. And I do think we lack leaders, Bar, Silva and Aspi at the moment. We don't have proper experienced leaders on the pitch. And having him next to Fernandez, like you said, it would allow Fernandez to be a bit more creative, offer a bit more support to those offensive players, which he was doing at Benfica. He was kind of playing on the edge of the edge of the box, you know, Put it doing those passes that um, may support. I think it was Gonzalo Ramos, whoever um, the Benfica striker was. Um, so yeah, I think Kante and, and, and Fernandez on paper would be our best midfield duo, and I'm really looking forward to that, seeing those two play together. Not the only one. I think you you speak for a lot of Chelsea fans when you say that. But um, moving on, let's talk about the chill out room, which is something that I, I'm, I'll be honest, I, I've tried to avoid reading about because it's almost like rewarding naughty kids for being naughty and petulant and I don't I mean I haven't read into it so maybe you know a bit more but from what I know I think Cobham is to be redesigned and have a new chill out room for the players almost like a new players lounge with arcade machines and um I think I read read soft furniture I don't know what, what yeah. that means whether it, like surely that's for babies when you have like sensory classes but um <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure why you would need soft furniture. I don't know. I don't know. So what's your thoughts on, I mean, is it really the time now to be releasing these kind of, this information into the world when we're playing poor, you know, the players haven't really been pulling their weight. The manager doesn't seem to be getting the buy-in from the players. It just seems like a weird time to announce that, yeah, we're playing crap, but we're going to get a nice chill-out room for the players. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, so I think... So Andy Dillon from The Athletic, I think, said Todd Bowley is splashing out on a luxury chill-out room as Chelsea battle on the pitch crisis. The new players' lounge will include soft furnishings and possibly video games. Designers will also be decorating walls with motivational phrases. So like you said, it's almost because we're playing so badly, we're rewarding the players with you know, a room where they can, I don't know, play snooker, play FIFA, um, arcade machines. Um, it doesn't really seem like the answer on the contrary, you should be rewarding them with that if you're playing well on the pitch. Um, I don't know if we're bringing in experts who kind of have you know done studies that show that having these type of chill-out rooms, rooms increases performances or productivity. But I know I think Google Google did that with their employees. They had a kind of these chill-out rooms or kind of areas where they could just take a break from work and, like I say, increase productivity. But we're talking about professional footballers here. We're not talking about tech employees. So I don't know if that's going to have the same effect, but I don't know. Maybe there seems to be a bit of stress or panic around Cobham. That may be a possibility. Um, so having this type of area um, may help the players stay there a bit, belong their training sessions, bond together, um, especially maybe you know mixing those new players into the group that maybe don't speak as English as well. It may be an opportunity for them to sit down and play a game of FIFA together get to know each other a bit better. I'm just trying to think outside the yeah, box. Yeah, here. No, I'm, I'm with you 100%. <laughs> I just um, can't then, get my head around it. Yeah. And then you've got these motivational phrases on the walls, which for me just screams Todd Bowley, very American, I feel. Um, it's a very kind of, um, I don't know who those motivational phrases will be from, but I'm just picturing some Rocky Balboa type of things <laughs> up on there. Um, 
but yeah, it kind of, I'm still a bit puzzled by it. I think there's ways of um, kind of rewarding players, but not when you're going through a slump of form like this. Yeah, no, and I, I just don't get it. I mean, I, part of me was thinking, I don't know if you remember, um, I think it was like a New, Ze- New Zealand motivational motivational coach, uh, Gilbert Anoka, joined the club recently um, mm. as part of the sort of team building and trying to boost morale. And I'm thinking, is this part of his game? Is this something he suggested? And Bowley's gone, yep, no worries. Get get the, you know, get his, what, wherever you want, get the PlayStations, get Xboxes, all of that stuff. Is that part of his thing? Because it just doesn't, sit well with me that we're playing so bad and then you know if they want to play playstation they've got houses million pound houses with them play playstation so i just don't get it I just, maybe i'm just old school and i don't really agree with rewarding people for doing nothing but yeah i mean it is what it is you know as, as we always say on here it's not our money but i just think i just i just think you know if you're going to spend something i mean you picked up a good point before we came online around our set pieces you know corners you know, free kicks. You know, have we got a set piece specialist coach? In, in you know, have we got have we got money for that? I mean, I'd rather spend it on someone who can teach our players to take corners and then beat the first man and get it into someone, as opposed to paying for Xboxes. But you mentioned that offline around um, you know the lack of uh, goals or the lack of threat from our corners and, and set pieces. What, what's your thoughts on that? What, why do you think that is? Is it just again a lack of um, coaching? Is it, is it just the fact that we don't have any good players that can take corners? I, I, or what do you think it is? Yeah, so game last weekend against Southampton, I was sat in Matthew Harding lower, so I had a good view of, I think it was Ben Chilwell and Jal Felix when they were taking corners. And not a single one of their corners got past the first man. And I think it's been like that for the last few seasons. And remember, Willian used to take them and he wasn't the best um, corner taker. I can't remember a good corner taker we've had maybe since Fabregas or Lampard. And that was a good maybe... Lampard. Yeah, Lampard would take them. He'd whip a good ball into the box. Fabregas would as well, especially when he had Diego Costa as his target man. Um, but yeah, it's just not even... The, we've got the players in the box. We've got the players with the aerial ability, the likes of Thiago Silva, Koulibaly, these tall players. But we're not putting any good balls in, in the box. I can't remember the last set piece we scored this season. I think Koulibaly scored one against Tottenham um, from a Cucurella corner, I think, in August. But since then, I'm not sure if we scored from a corner or a header or... I may be wrong, Um but someone did mention something on Instagram to me that the Stanford Bridge publicity billboards are so close to the corner flags that it it doesn't really allow the players to have a big of a run up or kind of enough space around them. But I don't really think that's an excuse. You've got opposition players coming to Stanford Bridge taking good yeah. corners. We're not taking good corners when we're away from home, when we're going to Old Trafford, when we're going to the Amex, when we're going to Anfield. So I don't think that's really a valid excuse. So instead of these chill out rooms, I'll invest a lot more time and money in kind of a set piece specialist in the training pitch or someone that can analyze set pieces, tell the players what to do, how to correct, um, correct their technique, because I'm just waiting for us to put a bullet header from a corner and that's not going to happen anytime soon with these corners. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know what our stats are from, from, from corners. You know, I don't have them to hand, but I can, I can imagine we're, you know, bottom at least or there or thereabouts. I don't think it would be, near the top at all um, I don't think and it's it's strange because we've got the players in, in terms of like Badia Shield you look at Thiago Silva Koulibaly maybe even look at Trevor Chalabar you know the height in terms of if the ball was actually to get into you know the, the critical area you know a target man area we'd actually be half decent with, with corners because we've got the height and we've got the, the you know the defenders to, to be able to score goals but um it's it's all I mean it's been a, it's been an ongoing thing like you said you know I remember your uh, your painful Willian 
WhatsApps when he just wasn't beating the first man. He wasn't getting him anywhere. So it's been a it's been an ongoing thing, and it's very similar to the the striker issue. You know that we haven't really addressed it. We've just kind of covered over the cracks and hoped for the best, and you know tried to get our goals elsewhere. But I think it's a massive issue, and I I do see what um, I don't I can't remember who, who who was on Instagram. I do see what they're saying to an extent, but it can't be an excuse. I mean, there's just no way that. You're telling me that players can come, other teams can come to Stamford Bridge and score corners. Or when we go to Old Trafford or um, the Etihad, somewhere where the you know the advertising hoardings are slightly, you know, there's a bit, bit of a bigger gap. We still can't score goals from corners. It doesn't, you know, we could play at the Old Wembley where the, you know, the hoardings were far away and you still wouldn't be able to, to, to get a goal. So I think it's more the fact that we don't have anyone who's decent enough to take corners. Um I'm trying to think now who... who we don't have a designated corner taker. We don't yeah, have a designated corner taker. I mean, Felix and Chilwell were taking in turns to take them. Mount's taken a fair few this season. I think Cucurella's taken some. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we put someone like a Mudrick or Enzo Fernandez on them soon or Reese James even. I don't know. It feels like a... Same with penalties at the moment. I don't think we've got a designated penalty taker now that Jorginho's left. Yeah. So I think that's a big question mark that's been left as well. Yeah, it's um, it is a worry because I think if, if you look at some of the other top clubs as well, um, you know they they score a lot of their goals or they score a handful of goals at least from set pieces or corners, and um, it is a worry. It is a worry. The matter, I'd love to know, like I said, I'd love to know how many corners we get and how many you actually convert into goals or how many would actually get into a, you know, a critical area of the penalty penalty area. So um, something I can do this weekend and hopefully we can we can display them. Uh, if that man Dave, if that man Dave is listening, then yeah. please, we'd love to hear those numbers. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. Um, let's move on to Sunday. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not going to say this is a must-win game. I'm sick of saying it. This is a game where we can't afford to lose to Tottenham because it's Tottenham. Um, we haven't lost. I don't think in the league since 2018. Um, I know we had that League Cup sort of game where it was, I think we lost on penalties. I think we might have. Um, going into this game, regardless of form, regardless of whatever, it's Tottenham. We can't lose to Tottenham. What's your thoughts? I agree. It's Tottenham. We, you, Chelsea fans would want Potter's head on a stick if um, if we lost <laughs> to Tottenham. That's how bad you know the rivalry is between the club, given how poor we've been. We've got Tottenham now. It almost feels like make or break. If we lose, it'll be finished. I feel Chelsea fans will never be able to forgive Graham Potter. If we win, it could be, you know, going on that curve to maybe forgiveness and maybe picking up some more results. Um, I said about Southampton last week, but for me, it's the perfect game to kind of gain that momentum, beat Tottenham away from home, a team as well that are kind of fighting for top four, hovering around that kind of uh, fourth and fifth spot. Um we just can't lose. Like you said, we cannot lose to, to Tottenham. Graham Potter cannot lose to Tottenham as well. Um, I'm sure the Chelsea fans travelling to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday will be more nervous than excited for this one, given the kind of, you know, how big the rivalry is and given the situation that we're in at the moment and how desperate we need points to kind of, you know, get closer to that top four pack. So yeah, a must not lose 100%. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of those games that I'm expecting us to lose. I'll be honest. I don't. I don't think we're going to win. Oh, it's the first time I think I've ever said that on here. That I don't. I'm going into this game with zero confidence. Um, 
And I think it's going to be interesting how Tottenham line up. I mean, in, in previous times, you know, I know Conte loves his you know three three centre backs with the wing backs and the, the two midfields, and he normally sets up that three of Kane, Morph, obviously up the front, and then he'll have Son or uh, I think it was Richarlison in the last game, and then Kulusevski on the on the right side. But I think he'll go with that, and I think if if he does that. I think Grandpa has to play free centre. He has to match him. He has to play free centre backs. He has to put Reese James and Ben Chilwell as your wing backs. Enzo, uh, Kovacic in midfield. I wouldn't play Madweki. I think that would be a big game for him to come into at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I'd probably put Jao Felix on the right, Bamiang in the middle, and I'd, I'd stick with, with Mudrik, but I'm a bit, I really am a bit hot and cold with him because apart, apart from Liverpool, I haven't really seen enough from Mudrick to to convince me that he's worthy of a start over someone like Raheem Sterling. Yeah, Sterling came on against Southampton, had some big chances, had an impact on the game. Mudrick, like you said, since his cameo at Anfield, we haven't seen much of him. I know he was ill for the first half of the the Fulham game at home. Um, The West Ham game, I think all the Chelsea fans could see it. He was frustrated that he wasn't getting a service from um, from, uh, Cucurella. Um, so yeah, I do think there's a good player there. The Shakhtar um, owner has come out recently and said that there's a good player there. And you just we've only seen I think 30 percent of what he's capable of doing. So I think um, he's got a very high ceiling and a lot of potential, and we will see it eventually. But I think I agree with you for this game, given how it's we can't really allow players to kind of time because we need we need the three points, we need the win, we need them to perform during the 90 minutes that they're playing that game. I'd go with Sterling. So I'd go with Aubameyang as my nine, even though I'm almost 100% sure he won't start Aubameyang, unfortunately. But my predicted or my wanted 11 would be Aubameyang, Jao Felix and Sterling. And then my back three. I'm going to bring Wesley Fofana back into this. I think Ooh. it's a good game. I was going to ask, just, just about to yeah. ask you if he, yeah. if he makes the team. But yeah, what, what, uh, for what reasons? Over, and over who? Because obviously Badia Shield, Koulibaly and Silva would be my back three. But who would you take out of that back three to... Um, you know, bring in Fafana. I think I'll take up Kulabali. I think um, Kulabali might have come off at half time against Southampton and Fafana got 45 minutes. And for me, that maybe was an indication that this is kind of the, the chance for Fafana now to play the remaining games this season if he stays um, fit and doesn't um, doesn't suffer another injury. So I'd go with Badger Shield, Thiago Silva and Wesley Fafana or French speaking as well. I know Kulabali is French speaking as well, but maybe that will kind of get them to communicate and have that kind of... Um, you know, they all kind of defend as a unit as well. Um, and we saw that at times as well with um, Zuma, when Silva partnered Zuma. Um, that was a good kind of um, um, midfield duo for the um, de- defensive duo for the for the time it, it lasted. So, um, yeah, I think Badger Shield, Silva and Wesley Fofana for the game against Tottenham on Sunday. And who who would you go with as as your sort of left wing back? Would it be would it be Cookerell? Would it be would it be Chilwell? Oh, chill well, chill well. And right wing back's got to be Reese James. You've got to think that um, Reese James hasn't played football for a week now. He hasn't played since the Dortmund away game. Yeah. So there's no excuses for him not being injury or have, still having um, being one game away from an injury. Um, I think he needs to play this game 100%. Yeah. I think there'll be questions. I mean, obviously, we're recording this literally 30 minutes before the press conference comes out this afternoon. But I think there'll be questions around Aubameyang. I think he's. Um, I mean, for me, he's got to be in that squad. I would not be surprised if the press, you know, say the conf- press conference later, ask him about Aubameyang because he's, we need goals and we've got a goal scorer. Okay, he's not in favour. You know, he's not the flavour of the month. He's not, but he's one of the best in Europe or he has been one of the best in Europe. Um, we know what he's capable of. He can't be any worse than Kai Havertz. 
there's no way he can be any worse than Kai Havertz. For Farno, I like, I, I do like him, but I think again, this is a big game and it's not a game I'd want to take a risk with for Farno to then bring on a Bamiang or bring on, you know, Kai Havertz. I'd, ra- I'd rather start a Bamiang and he'll be up for the game. I mean, let's not forget, he's played for Arsenal. <laughs> he'll be up for the game 100%. Yeah, and uh, he hasn't featured, I think, since he was brought on as a sub then taken off against Man City in yeah. uh, in the league, I think, early January. So like I've said a few times on this pod, he hasn't played yet with Fernandez, with Mudrick, with Jao Felix, with all the new signings we brought in in January. So I think this is a chance for him now to, to come back in the team, um, show, show us what he can do, which we all know he's capable of doing, and have a service, hopefully, from those new signings that we signed. Yeah, 100%. Before we, before we wrap up, Let's do our predictions that we, we always get wrong, but well, this season we've got them wrong. Last season we've we done, we done okay, but what's your thoughts going into this game on Sunday? Are you confident? Are you, are you talking 3 nil again? Or are we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm not confident. I, was, I know I was confident last week. I must have maybe had too many coffees that day or something <laughs> to, to, to think we were going to win by three goals, but I think it's going to be a low scoring draw um, on Sunday. I think given the rivalry, given our record away to Spurs, I don't think we'll lose. I really hope we won't lose. But I think we'll draw it and I think it'll be 1-1. I think we're going to lose. <laughs> I Actually, this is the first time I've ever generally gone into a game and I don't really care. I mean, I do care. Obviously, it's Tottenham, but I'm not expecting a win. I'm yeah. really not. And I don't think I've ever done that oh, for years, years and years. And this is the first time I'm actually going to get up on Sunday and if we lose, we lose. I think I've resigned to the fact that we just aren't going to win anything this season and we're not going to climb up the table and push for a nice European Champions League spot. I'm just, I'm happy with it now. I know, I know where we are. I know what kind of team we are and that's it. So I think I think 2-0. I don't think we'll score. And it all depends if Aubameyang starts. If, if he doesn't, it could be 3 or 4. And I'm going to be honest, I think it could be 3 or 4 to Tottenham because we are just lacking goals. Um, and it worries me if we play a back four you know, Kulisewski, Richarlison, who likes to roll up certain players and get under people's skin. You know, Reese James on that right side against Richarlison. I just think it's recipe for disaster. I really do. So I'm going to go 2-0 um, Tottenham. And if we don't start, start a Bamiang, 4-0. Mm. It would be painful to see Tottenham beat us in the league for the first time since 2018. It really would, but I kind of agree with your prediction. I think it'd um, be a great part of thing to do, wouldn't it? I mean, how many other records has he broken that we shouldn't really be breaking? It'd be a very kind of Graham Potter records to kind of match the other ones that he's 